We are celebrating uh, our country's independence this week, and we're going to have a big party on Tuesday. I said last week that God likes to throw parties, and, uh, and so if God likes to throw parties, then we do too, and we want people to come and to enjoy, whether they're from our church or, or not from our church, whether they look like Christians or don't look like Christians, we're going to love them because Jesus does. And as we celebrate uh, our independence, we, uh, we remember that we wanted to be free from British rule um, back uh, in 1776. You know, we, we have someone in our grow group that's from Great Britain, and so the 4th of July, we always give him a lot of grief. And, uh, and he, you know, he takes it. Um, he just always is looking for an opportunity to celebrate anyway, so he celebrates with us. Uh, but as you think about that and the connection that everybody uh, in, in the U.S. back then had with Britain, uh, and, but yet some of them wanted to be freed from that rule, uh, the Continental Army, and they wore a certain color, uniforms. And, uh, and then if you were uh, with the British, if you were with the Crown, you wore red coats. And, and then if you switched, you were called a turncoat, uh, which is uh, synonymous with being a traitor. Uh, Benedict Arnold became the most famous traitor of the Revolutionary War. He, he was a hero of the Revolutionary War at the beginning. He helped to, to capture a fort, a British garrison in 1775. In 1776, he hindered the British invasion of New York. In 1777, he played a big role in the surrender of a British general. But he felt he wasn't getting the recognition that he should have gotten. And um, maybe there were other uh, factors that influence him, one of them being a, a, a young lady that he met and he romanced and he later married. So in Philadelphia in 1779, he entered into secret negotiations with the British, agreeing to turn over the U.S. post in West Point in exchange for money and the command of a British brigade. Um, and of course, then his name has become synonymous with being a traitor, being a turncoat. It's important that you choose a side and that you stick with the side, isn't it? That, that you be loyal to that. Well, your, your identity is important. When, when you believe who you are and who you identify with, it makes a lot of difference. People today find identity in their profession, what they do. They find identity in sports themes, uh, you know, the colors they wear and the people they cheer for, and they have fun with that. Some people find identity in their university, their alma mater, and, and they get all the paraphernalia. They put it on their uh, cars, their trucks. They, they wear it on their clothes, and, you know, they, they're this or that. The people also find identity in their ethnicity or in their cultural background and are very proud of that. Uh, there's identities on social media that people create. They're an image uh, that maybe is or is not the person, but it's an image that they keep on social media that's their identity. And then there's this whole conversation about gender identity. And so we live in a time that is, uh, people are trying to figure out who they are, that people are, are trying to learn what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what, what it means to be a child growing up in, in this culture. Well, today we're talking about the call to identity. We're in a summer series that we're calling Follow Jesus, Belong, Believe, and Become. 
And we've been going through the Gospel of Luke and we looked at different stories to talk about these aspects, what it means to follow Jesus. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And today we come to the issue of identity at Jesus's baptism. So would you go with me to Luke chapter three, verse 21, uh, so that we can read our text for today, Luke 3, 21. It reads like this, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. As he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This is Jesus' baptism and this little passage, although it's brief, it tells us a lot about the identity of Jesus and it informs our identity as well if we are followers of Jesus or if you're considering becoming a follower of Jesus. So let's talk about that. First of all, we see here that Jesus identifies with us in baptism. When, when we're thinking about our own identity, who we are, what does it mean to be followers of Jesus? We need to begin with this point of where Jesus identifies with us at his baptism. Scripture tells us that when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And that's important. Here's all these people that are coming to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John has been preaching a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sin. And so the people that are coming to the river are coming out of a conviction that they need something, that they need a change, that they need repentance, that they need forgiveness of sins, that they, they want to connect with a God who they feel far away from and they realize they have a problem. And so when they step into the baptismal waters, this baptism of repentance, they're stepping into a commitment for change. And so the question is, when all of these people are being baptized, why does Jesus get baptized if he has no sin, if he has nothing to repent from? Why is Jesus being baptized? And the answer is that Jesus is being baptized because he's identifying with us. He's saying to us, I will meet you at your point of need. I will identify with you in your brokenness and in your desire to receive forgiveness in your life. Instead of having you work your way up to me up in heaven, instead of having you try to prove how deserving you might be of me, I'm going to come down and I'm going to meet you at the very waters of baptism where you're looking for change, where you're looking for forgiveness, where you're looking for a new life. And how important that is. Um, you know, the late Queen Elizabeth, when she was a princess, she turned 21 years old and she spent her birthday in Cape Town, South Africa. And uh, she marked her birthday by giving a speech uh, that had to do with how she considered herself part of a, a, an imperial family that was bigger than just um, Great Britain. And uh, she said this in her speech, I declare before you that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. And, uh, and, and it was an interesting thing for, for her to say as a princess when she becomes queen uh, later in the 80s when apartheid in South Africa is taking place and the world is opposing it. There are 49 nations in the Commonwealth, 
48 of them want to impose economic sanctions on South Africa so that apartheid would end. But the only one nation that wouldn't do it was Great Britain. The prime minister was not convinced that it would work or whatever reason she had for not doing it. But the queen was uh, convinced that this was part of the family. And whatever you might think about imperial rule or, or those times, that there was this conviction that this was not right. There was this identification with those who were oppressed and who were suffering. And it made a difference. So it's no surprise that when Nelson Mandela became president, one of the first world leaders that recognized him as president was Queen Elizabeth. And they were on a first name basis. There's something really moving about a monarch who identifies with those who are oppressed, who are suffering, with those who might be rejected otherwise. And the good news of the gospel is that the king of the universe has stepped down into our world to become like us. He has taken on flesh like us. He's put on clothes like we do. He's eaten food like we do. He's spoken a human language like we do. And he's met us at the baptismal waters. He begins his ministry by stepping in baptism, and in doing so, he's virtually saying, I am your brother. I'm right here with you. And although Jesus is without sin, he identifies with every sinner. His baptism, more than a symbol of the need for forgiveness in his life, is a proclamation of the forgiveness that he will provide. His immersion in that water in the Jordan River it's a proclamation, although no one in that moment understands, it's a proclamation that one day he will die and be buried. And that one day, just as John brings him up out of the water, he will rise from the dead in his resurrection. Even in his baptism, Jesus is making a commitment to redeem us. Even in his baptism, Jesus is identifying with you and me and our need for salvation. Secondly, God identified with Jesus in his baptism. While Jesus is going through this ritual that he doesn't have a need to go through, heaven speaks. There are three times in the gospels where God's voice in heaven is audible. There's that Mount of Transfiguration occasion. There's a time when Jesus is praying the priestly prayer in the gospel of John and, and, and the Father answers him audibly. And then there's this time, his baptism. In fact, this is the first time that God speaks in an audible voice of those three. All three times affirm the identity of Jesus. Let's look at verse 21 again at the latter part of that verse, which says, as he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well Please, the Heavenly Father identifies Jesus as his son. He says, you're my son. He states that he loves him. And then he declares his approval of him. Three powerful things that every human father should say to his children. You're mine. I love you. And I'm proud of you. Those are powerful things to say to your children. That when a father says it, it really matters. And if, and if Jesus needed to hear it, how much more do we need to hear it? So the Father does this. I wonder how many 
people have identity issues because they never heard their father say that to them. That's, that's how important it is. It was important for Jesus. You know, uh, it, it's never too late to tell your adult children that they're yours, that you love them, that you're proud of them. But it's really cool to be a grandfather and get to do it all over again with the kids. You know, I, uh, I, I play with Daniel. We, we play this little back and forth game and, and I say, Daniel, you're mine. He goes, no, Daniel is mama's. And I said, okay. I said, well, mama is mine. And he says, no, mama is mine. And so my daughter is expecting a baby girl. And I said, well, baby sister is mine. He goes, no, baby sister is mama's. And so I just can't have anything. So I say, well, un Uncle Stephen's mine. He goes, yeah, you have it. <laughs> Uncle Josh is mine. Yeah, you have him. But, but it's, it's our little game. And then we have these goodbye rituals. And we do knuckles. And then we do high five. And we do besitos. And then uh, at the very end, I say in Spanish, te amo, which means I love you. And he just goes back, amo. And so when he leaves, I want him to know that he belongs to a family where he's loved and where he's accepted. That's hugely important. At his baptism, the heavenly father identified with Jesus. He says to him, you're my son. He speaks directly to him. At no other event in the public ministry of Jesus is the entire Trinity present. The Holy Spirit comes in bodily form, in the form of a dove, The Son of God is present there, submitting himself out of obedience and example and identity in baptism. And the Heavenly Father speaks words of affirmation and approval over his Son. It's an important event. The Trinity showed up. And Luke doesn't want us to miss this unique identity of Jesus. The, the, the Son of Man, fully God and fully man. After he relates what God has said to him there, he uh, records the human genealogy. In verse 23, uh, the following verse to our text, says, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. Interesting. So Luke says, people thought that Joseph was his dad, but we know who his real dad was. And Jesus knew. He heard it there. Now Matthew tells the genealogy of Jesus from the point of view of Abraham. He wants his readers to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of all Jewish promises and covenants. But, but Luke goes all the way to Adam. If you jump to verse 38, at the end of that genealogy, you, you'll see this. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Luke wants us to know this is a unique individual. He's the son of God because the father has declared him so. The father has affirmed what has always been. It didn't start being a reality at his baptism. It was just an affirmation of what has been through, true through eternity. But he's also the son of man. He's connected to humanity. He's connected to us. And that entire identity of Jesus would be important in his redemptive work. Immediately after his baptism, as you continue to read the Gospel of Luke, you know that Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. Now, when the devil is tempting Jesus, it is first and foremost an issue of identity. 
The devil tells Jesus, if you are the son of God, if you really are the son of God, you know what the devil does here? He doesn't say, you're not the son of God. He just casts enough doubt or he's trying to cast enough doubt. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden. He says, did God really say that? And then he twisted God's word. That's how the devil worked. The devil begins to cast doubt. Are you, are you really a Christian? Are, are you sure you're really committed? Are, are you sure you're a child of God? Are you sure that, that God has done your life what he, are you sure? He, he cast enough doubt. He cast doubt on the identity of Jesus. You know, Jesus responds to the devil with these words. It is written. Every temptation, all three times that the devil tries to tempt him in the wilderness, he cast out on his identity and Jesus says, it is written. And he quotes the scriptures. You know what Jesus is saying? He said, my father has already spoken and so I'm not debating it with you. God has already said who I am and it's not up for debate with you. I don't have to prove it to you. God has already said who I am. It is written. It has been said. God's word matters. Jesus' life and ministry would depend on who God said he was. And so it should be for every child of God, for you and me. What God has said about you is what matters. Not what the world says. Now what people want you to be. Now how they want to poke you and make you respond in a way that they try to trap you. Your identity is found in what God says and who God says you are. I am who he says I am, we say. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir. So remember that. It brings us to our last point that we can identify with Jesus in baptism. Jesus invites us to follow him. That's what we're talking about this summer. And at his baptism, Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, start right here. Meet me at the baptismal waters where I identify with you and you identify with me. Baptism marks the beginning of a journey. It's not the midway point. It's not the end of the journey. It's the beginning of the journey. Following Jesus means that we meet him it means that we're with him. It means that we imitate him. And eventually that we become like him. So if Jesus began his ministry with baptism, then we began our journey with him in baptism as well. We have several folks in our church who are part of a network of, of people who share their faith and they're very bold about sharing their faith uh, in public places like parks and places of work or um, homes. And they go out and they share their faith. And, and when people say yes to Jesus, when people say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, then they say, okay, the next thing you have to do is be baptized. And often they baptize him right there and then in a swimming pool or a trough. They, they figure out a way to baptize him that same day. And then as soon as they're baptized, they, they say, now we're going to teach you how to share your faith. And they go out with them to share their faith with, with all of their lost friends. That's you know, when you, first, when you first decide to follow Jesus, that's when you know the most lost people. And that's a, the best time to do it. And so they do that. So th these people were having a training in our church this week. And 
Uh, they call it intensive training because they really go deep into some things. But one of our uh, Reynosa pastor friends was, was reviewing things with the group. And, and what he did is he, he walked with them through the book of Acts to, to, to see the timing of the baptism of those who decided to follow Jesus. And they found, and you will find this too, if you do a study of the book of Acts or really anywhere in the New Testament, they'll find this simple pattern of baptism. People believed in Jesus and they were baptized immediately. Two really important things. They believed in Jesus, they were baptized immediately. That means that, that baptism comes after belief. That baptism comes after you've made a commitment to follow Jesus. That your commitment to Jesus as Lord and Savior comes first and then baptism is a sign of that commitment. There is nowhere in the New Testament where anybody gets baptized early on in life with the hope that sometime they will come to believe. And I'm not criticizing other faiths or other religions. I'm just telling you, I don't find it in the New Testament. And so we find that pattern. And the other part of that pattern is that they were baptized immediately. There is nowhere in the New Testament where a new believer is saying, okay, so you're not a follower of Jesus, now you have to wait. You have to take this course or you have to go to this class, or you have to learn these five things before you can be baptized, or you have to wait till you're more mature, or you have to wait till you prove that you really are serious about following Jesus. Every instance in the New Testament, when somebody says, I believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, they were baptized immediately. And it should be that way today. When someone says yes to Jesus, the invitation to follow him he should seek to make the opportunity uh, to be baptized immediately. To trust Jesus means that, that we trust what he did on the cross is enough to forgive us our sins. And that what he did in that empty grave is the power to give us new life. We believe that although he died and was buried, as we give witness in the baptismal waters of, of dead, death and burial, that he rose from the dead with power. Look at what Romans chapter 6 says about this. Romans 6 verse 3. He says, so don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When we are being baptized, we, we are proclaiming what Jesus did for us. The baptismal waters are like a grave. We identify in his death and his suffering. We are willing to die to ourselves and to die to the old life. And then after we're immersed, we come out of the water with new hope, with a new beginning, with the new power that Jesus gives us. It's because of his redemptive work on the cross and what he did at the tomb that we can die to our old self and be raised to a new life. At his baptism, Jesus identifies with sinners in our brokenness, in our need. In our baptism, we identify with Jesus in his power to forgive us and to change us. I'll never forget the day of my baptism. I was 12 years old. In fact, it was my birthday weekend and it was Easter weekend as well. Our church, uh, that met in Monterey, Mexico, uh, did an Easter weekend retreat. And so we went to a little town close by and we were uh, by a river 
And so on that morning, there were baptisms. And I was really excited until I got into the water and realized how cold it was. It was really, really cold. But I was excited because I had made a commitment to follow Jesus earlier in my life. My parents wanted me to wait and they did the right thing until I was 12 because they wanted to make sure that I understood that I wasn't making a childish decision or a decision out of pressure. And that's the age they, they decided. I'm not saying that's the right age for everybody, but that's what they decided for me. And I'm thankful for that. But I'll just always remember that day when in those baptismal waters, as cold as they were, in front of my whole church family, I got to give witness that I have decided to follow Jesus. If you've not experienced the love and the power of Jesus in your life, I wanna invite you today to trust him, to trust him to forgive you, to trust him to make you a new person, to trust him to give you the life that you could never have on your own. We've sang today, in my father's house, there's a place for me. There's a place for you in the Father's house and you can come to the Father's house as you trust Jesus. I wanna invite you to do that today, whether you're in person or watching online. And if you've not followed him in believer's baptism, then I wanna to say to you, don't wait any longer. Make it happen. Come talk to us, one of our pastors or girl group leaders, and we'll make that happen. We can fill up this baptistry next Sunday. If you don't want to wait till next Sunday, we'll make it happen before that. But, but don't wait. Take that step. It'll affirm your faith. It'll affirm your identity as a child of God. It'll help you continue to grow in that life. Jesus began his ministry by being baptized. He identified with us. God identified with him. And the rest of Jesus' ministry was defined by his identity as a son of God, fully God, fully man. You too can look back at your baptism as the moment that you identify with Jesus, as the moment that Jesus identifies with you. It's a symbol that seals your relationship as a child of God. And that is the primary identity that you have. That's the, the thing that matters the most beyond your profession, beyond your ethnicity, beyond your background or your past, good or bad, if you are in Jesus, you're a child of God. Regardless of your status, regardless of your achievements, regardless of your lack of achievements, regardless of what others think about you, if you're in Jesus, you are loved by God. You're accepted by God through Jesus, the beloved son. Think about this. When Jesus is at his baptism and the father says, you're my son, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. If you are in Jesus, then God says the same thing about you. You're my child, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. What a great thing, what a great identity to have. Baptism should remind you of who you are. You're forgiven, you are loved. You are owned by the king of the universe. You're a new creation. You're accepted. You're an heir to the resurrection and eternal life. You are who God says you are. And that's the only thing that matters. And today, Jesus invites you to live in that identity. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus. 
Thank you for his example. Thank you for his identity and his willingness to not just identify with us, but to save us, to redeem us. Today we, we pray for those that, that have not yet made a commitment to be followers of Jesus, that today your spirit will convict them of their need for you, will convict them of who you are, the only savior, you provided the only way for us to be reconciled with you and that they would trust you, surrender to you and receive all that you have in store right now. For those that need to take the step of baptism that you will give them a desire to do so and they'll experience the joy of obedience. Whatever other commitments need to be made, Father, would you lead our hearts right now for the people in the room, for the people watching online. And as we think about how to respond to you in faith, Father, would you prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper? Would you examine us so that if there's any sin in our hearts, we might receive your forgiveness as we confess it right now cleanse us that we may stand in your holy presence and partake of these elements in a worthy manner through the blood of Jesus we pray these things in Christ's name Amen